Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. But I invite you this morning to grab your Bibles and turn to the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, as I mentioned uh, last week, we're taking a bit of a a break. We're hitting pause on our series through the book of Romans uh, during the month of December. Uh, We're going to turn our attention to... Uh, the Christmas season. And um, I don't know about you, but it, it, with this year, it seems like 2021 in some ways, cr- uh, the, the year has kind of dragged by, but in most ways, it feels like it has gone at light speed. All right. Does anybody else feel that way? Um, I mean, I was, over at, I was over at our storage unit getting the Christmas decorations out for the church a little while ago, and I was like, man, I feel like I just put these things away like two or three weeks ago, and here we are digging those back out again. And you know what? That's when you know that you're getting old. When you start complaining about how fast time goes, that's when you know you've transitioned from being young and cool and hip to being old. Because it's like, you know, when you're younger, it's like, man, time just never seems to go fast enough. And then somewhere around the way, you, you kind of look and it's like, man, it's just, it's just going by too fast and I can't seem to slow it down. Um, so I've kind of, I guess I've just achieved, I guess I've just achieved that oldness status somewhere. But um, today, like I said, we're going to hit our pause button and we're going to spend the month of December focusing on the message and on the glory of Christmas or on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, man, I am so lucky to be at a church that is so like in touch with the season that they would talk about Christmas in December. I know that you're thinking, man, that is some serious, that's some serious creativity on the leadership's part, right? Um, You know, (laughs) but, uh, and I know I've said this before, but sometimes preaching on Christmas and Easter are, are pretty tough to preach at because it's always a challenge to be fresh or unique or tell the same, you're telling the same story and how do I tell it in a way that doesn't like just make people kind of zone out or kind of go into this, into this just kind of like autopilot mode because a lot of times our familiarity can breed apathy, can it? I would hope that the familiarity of Christmas doesn't breed contempt in your heart, but sometimes what it can do, the familiarity of the stories that we know so well from the Bible can sometimes breed apathy in our hearts, can't they? My challenge this year and what I want to challenge you with is because we're just coming out of a Christmas like none of us had ever experienced before. Last year was just a weird Christmas, right? With COVID and pandemic and, you know, lockdowns and social distancing and masks and all that type of stuff. And this year it's beginning to get a little bit better. We're not still completely back to normal, but we're beginning to think, okay, I can see normal on the horizon I want to kind of just lean into that, that we had a Christmas unlike any other last year. So let's kind of lean into the fact that Christmas has some really good traditions about it and some really good things about it that we, let's revisit them this year and maybe see them again and hopefully maybe see them again for the first time or for the hundredth time or whatever. But the reason the Christmas story, the reason this season has lasted as long as it has is because there's power in it right? There's power in the message of Christmas. There's power in the incarnation of Jesus, meaning God becoming man. And so this, this month, what we're going to do is, you're going to probably think, man, I've heard that song before. I've sung it a million times. How many of you have sung Silent Night before, right? We sung it a lot. How many of you even need to look at the words when we sang it today? Didn't, probably didn't, right? But let's enjoy that. 
Let's enjoy what's familiar, right? The passage I'm going to share this morning is a passage I've preached from at this time of year a whole lot. But let's enjoy that, that it's familiar. Because there's something about Christmas that just should be personal, shouldn't it? It should be something that kind of gets inside of us and something that we feel that we know well enough because that's how God wants to be with us. He wants to be someone that we know well enough to just kind of cuddle up with. And I don't, I'm not trying to be like real dramatic, but just that we can draw near to and that we can find hope in and that we can find peace in what's known and what's familiar. And so that's what I want to kind of do this month as we celebrate Christmas at Graceway. So this morning, I want to look at a passage that you're probably very familiar with in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse number 18. And if you have the, the CSB or the Christian Standard Bible like I do, the heading of there says the nativity of Christ. Your Bible, if it has headings, may say the birth of Christ or the arrival of Jesus Christ, or it may even say the incarnation of Christ. But it says in verse number 18, it says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph or had been betrothed to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you're Joseph and you're engaged and your fiance comes to you and says, hey, I can't wait until we get married. I can see that, you know, I'm really enjoying the wedding plans and, and, and you know, we're going to this bridal shower next week. But there's something I think you need to know is that I'm pregnant. Now, I don't know about you, but if your fiance says to you, I'm pregnant and you know that there's no way... She could be pregnant by you. You're asking questions, right? And so Joseph thought, pretty much like anybody, he thought, well, this, we're going we're gonna to just break up. And uh, back in those days when you were betrothed or when you were promised or when you were engaged, you basically already considered yourself to be married. So you, he would have had to file for a divorce or an annulment at this place. And so he was going to do that. But then an angel shows up. Now let's put ourselves back in Joseph's shoes, guys. An angel shows up and says, it's okay. Because the baby is from God. Now, I don't know about you. It would take a lot of convincing, but I think maybe an angel showing up and talking to me might convince me a little bit, right? So Joseph shifts his plans and it looks, look at what it says. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph being a good Jewish man knew the promises of the Messiah. He had he had studied them in school. He had prayed about them. He had all the passages from Isaiah and the Messianic Psalms memorized. And being a Jewish man living under Roman rule, he had probably began to wonder, is the Messiah ever going to come? If ever we needed a Messiah, it would probably be right now. God, you would show up right on time if you did. And then all of a sudden he finds out, not only is the Messiah coming, but I'm part of the plan. And then in verse number 23, or number 22, it says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. All the way back in Isaiah again, says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. But he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Another thing that was not normally done, they would have thought 
they would name him Joseph because it's his son, but he knew he wasn't, and so he named him what he was told to name him. We see another name right up here again. I want to call your attention again one more time to verse number 23. The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is interpreted, say this with me, God with us. Today I want to talk about the fact that Christmas is a traditional time. Christmas sometimes for a lot of people is very difficult. We have families even within our church that this season of the year is tough because you've lost somebody. Some of you have lost children around this time. It's a tough season for some. For others, it's fun. You know, for our kids, it's a great time. It's a time of presents and getting out of school and all kinds of stuff. But Christmas is a time that reflects all of that within us. Christmas is a time that is special, most importantly, because of those words. Because God is with us. Christmas needs to be a personal time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach the message that I'm sharing today. That you, Lord God, the creator of all things, the one who gives life, the one who holds life in his hand, the one who sustains life, that you cared enough to give us your son, Jesus Christ. That you cared enough, Lord God Almighty, to become God with us. When all we knew to do and when all we would do in our sinful, broken nature is run away from you, you pursued us. You left your throne. You came here to redeem us. Thank you for that. Thank you for the Christmas story. And I pray this year that it wouldn't just be another Christmas, that we would really dive into what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God with us. I think one of the, the things that the, the weirdness of last Christmas taught us, at least it kind of taught me this, was how important it is that Christmas be a personal time. That it be a time when we really kind of just lean into to people and family members and things. That's the nature of Christmas. It's most meaningful when it is personal. And I know every year, I've preached at Christmas for like going on 16,000 years now. Um, every year I kind of get up and it's kind of the, the thing to do is say, man, how impersonal and how, how commercial is Christmas getting, right? It's all about the gifts and it's all about the stuff. And that's very true. And it gets even more that way. And I think last year made it even more impersonal, right? When we were told, you know, be careful about getting together. And I mean, people were just sending Christmas gifts through the mail through Amazon or giving gift cards and doing stuff like that. Christmas has become a very impersonal kind of time, right? We've taken the personal nature out of Christmas, but it also seems like it's the season that's just packed now with stuff to do, places to go that we really don't slow down and we really don't take in the true glory of Christmas until it's all over with. And if we're honest, I think we kind of like that, don't we? That's the reason it keeps getting more commercialized. It keeps getting more impersonal. We like the hustle and bustle. We like the busyness. And you may be saying, no, we, 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 we don't. We don't like that. But yet, how many of you have events on your calendar that you're going to be heading to this year? How many of you are having events and you've taken extra events this year because you feel like you got shortchanged last year? We like it. And we say, well, that's the, per that's the personal part is getting together with people and doing all those things. But when I mean Christmas is personal, I mean we need to let it, speak to our hearts. We can get so busy that we forget to stop and look at just what Christmas is to us. We kind of like that impersonal commercialization. And here's a brief test for you. How many of you as parents or even as grandparents would get laughed out of the room in a, in a few weeks if every present your kid opened was just a handmade gift from mom or dad or grandma or grandpa? Because I don't know about you, as, as handy as I am, which Stacy, don't laugh, okay? Because she knows I'm not. 
Um, matter of fact, the, the hardest part for me is just finding the screwdriver. I don't even know where the screwdrivers are at our house. But the, as handy as I am, I can't build an Xbox. As handy as I am, I can't build an iPhone because that becomes the gifts that people usually want, right? And so it becomes impersonal. We become to expect the impersonal, right? The handmade, the well thought out, the personal gifts. Sometimes we kind of move, oh yeah, they're sentimental, but the real value is in the other things usually, right? There was a, a sweet little grandma several years ago who lived several hundred miles away from all of her grandkids. And each year she would spend a lot of months. She would start like in July or something like that. And she would begin to think of just the perfect gift that she could give each one of her grandkids. It kind of reminds me of, of my, my grandma Brenda, who she, I mean, all year long she's shopping and she's looking for the perfect gift for all of her grandkids. And then so what she would do is since she couldn't be with them, she would mail that perfect gift to the kids. And a lot of times that perfect gift was made by her own hand. And it was something that she took time to show. And every time the kids would open them, she would know, hey, Grandma really, really knows me. But let's be honest, I'm going to enjoy the, the, the Bluetooth speakers that, that mom and dad got me this year, right? So as the children got older and headed into their teenage year, the thank yous kind of came a little bit, you know, lesser and lesser there. And so grandma decided, you know, they're a little older and they probably don't like those handmade gifts as much. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to send them money because every teenager loves money. It's always the perfect color. It's always the perfect size, you know, everything like that. So she doesn't have to think as much. She just goes ahead and puts the money in the cards or, you know, she goes ahead and gets everything ready. She mails the, she mails the cards and everything goes away. And um, she goes to the post office, ships all the letters out. When she comes home from the post office, she is completely shocked to see that she left the stack of money still on the table. She sent the cards without the money and then she became even more horrified when she realized what the message she had written in each one of the cards. Get your own present this year. <laughs> so she imagined her grandchildren opening the card that was empty with nothing in it saying, get your own present this year. Doesn't that sound like a personal Christmas touch, right? Uh, thanks, Grandma. I really appreciate that. Maybe we should have sent a thank you a little bit more. See, after last Christmas, I think some of the things that I miss, like, you know, some of the traditions that we do that we didn't get to keep, but there are also some things that we become grateful for as well, like the slowed down pace that helped us to focus more on what mattered. It made it a little bit more personal. And I believe this. I believe that Christmas is the time of the year that should be the most personal when it comes to ministry, when it comes to the way we relate to the world. And I think it reminds us of just how attentive we should be to others and other people around us. It's the most personal story that we could ever share, that God himself would come to us. And not just come to us as a group, but comes to us individually as well. And that's what I want to look at this morning is that Christmas is best celebrated when it has a personal touch. And I want to look at how the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the most personal doctrine, the most personal teaching that we have as the church of Jesus Christ. So number one, I want to look at this. The Christmas story is personal because it tells us that God made a personal appearance. God cared enough to make a personal appearance. Look at verse number 23 of our text. See, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which being translated is God is with us. The greatest message and the greatest miracle of Christmas is all rolled into these four simple words. That God is with us. That's the miracle of Christmas and that's the treasure of Christmas as well. 
That's what the incarnation teaches us, is that God cared enough to be with us. And you can break it down into two more simple words. God came. Or God came to us. That God, the creator of the universe, who dwells in heaven on high, who lives above and apart from all of this physical realm that we see here on earth, who's perfect and holy, who's awesome in majesty and in splendor, came. That God came to us. He left the glory. He left the majesty of heaven to come down to a broken and hurting world. He traded in this transcendent glory and power for a broken and limited flesh like we are. He traded in his throne in heaven for a manger in a stable. He laid down his eternal existence and he submitted to a death on the cross that he did not deserve. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, who lives above and beyond all of us, cared enough to come down and be with us for 33 years. And, and understand this too, that the word of God teaches us that just because Jesus is in heaven today, God is still with us. He has not left us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He is at work among us. He is with us right now. It's not just a 33-year period of time when God was here. God is with us now. See, that's the thing is when God comes to us, he never intends to leave. If God has saved you or when he came to you or when you came to Jesus Christ and he, you believed in him to be your personal Lord and Savior, understand this, he's never going to leave you. He's always there. I love what it says in John chapter 1 and verse number 14. It says, the word, the word of God, or that's a name for Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ or God became flesh and he dwelled among us. He became flesh and he dwelled among us. He took on the thing that is broken in us so that that could be fixed in us, right? See, what separates us from God and man is the fact that we are living in this flesh. This, this, this kind of, this will deteriorate. And I tell you what, in my 40s, I'm seeing how fast it is. I always heard tale that it would deteriorate and things don't work like they used to. And things, things don't, don't, don't exist on my body like they should anymore, right? It is made to deteriorate. God, the eternal, took on flesh. He humbled himself. He, he, he took on this, this form of us, broken as we are, for our good. See, God didn't send an assistant. He didn't send an angel in his place to do his dirty work. God did the dirty work for us. The redemption that we needed, God got down and got his hands dirty. He got his body bloody and bruised and broken because he was the only one who could do it. See, God himself came to earth for 33 years, walked on this very ground that he spoke into existence from the beginning. He died on wood that was hewn from a tree that he spoke into existence. Had nails from steel that came from elements that he spoke into existence, driven through his hands and his feet. Thorns from a rose bush that he spoke into existence, driven through his skull. He came to us. God came to us. His personal appearance was our ultimate glory but it is his ultimate humility. See, what an amazing time in history it must have been those 33 years that Jesus walked on earth to have God, his feet literally touching the soil. It, people ask me, if you have a time machine, where do you want to go back to? I mean, there's a lot of interesting periods of time, but to be able to go back and maybe be over there to even just get a glimpse of the God-man, man, man that, 
That's an opportunity I wouldn't be able to pass up. Even though I know that I'm going to gaze upon his face one day when I'm in heaven. Just to see that and just to see what was taking place in the word that I preach. Is just to see that with my own eyes. I love what Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 through 9 says. Who existing in the form of God. Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And we had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. See, this is the beauty of Christmas. This is what separates Christianity and the story and the person of Christ from all other religions and all other isms. And I know I say this all the time. But in Christianity, in all other religions, what you get is man has to work their way to God. But in Christianity and in the Christmas story, what we get is God made a way to man. God came to us. When I couldn't get there, God came to me. When Joseph was just one representative, Joseph and Mary, just one representative of a broken and fallen world at its worst, in the darkest season of life, in the darkest season of history for them, God showed up. God became man. See, that's a personal religion. That's a God that makes, it makes him a personal God and it makes Jesus a personal savior. And the Christmas story that God became a man to descend to humanity is the most personal story that we can tell. You see, Christmas is a time of great joy, but for a lot of people, it's a time of great sorrow. It just reminds us of the things that we loved dearly that we don't have with us anymore. But friend, I want to encourage you with this, that there are a lot of things or a lot of people even in your life that you may not have at this moment, but Emmanuel, God with us, is something that will never be taken from you. God with us. It's the most personal story that we can tell. There are so many people wondering, does anyone care? Is it ever going to get better? Is there any hope? And the message of Christmas is the only thing that can bring that hope, truly, without doubt. So God coming to man, making his appearance is, one of those per, is the most personal touch of Christmas. The second thing that gives Christmas a personal touch is that God gave his most precious treasure, his most precious gift to us at Christmas. You see, every year when we would have our daycare Christmas program at LBT, I was always sure that when I would stand to welcome everybody, I would say to them, thank you so much for trusting us each day with your most precious treasure talking about their kids. <laughs> I'd have to remind some, I'm talking about your kids because be like, what? I didn't leave my car here every day, you know? <laughs> so, but, uh, but no, it's because kids, we realize that it's not the stuff we have, it's the people that we have in our lives that are the most precious thing to us. There's not one thing that I would trade in my life for my kids. I couldn't do that. There's not one thing that I would trade in my life for my wife or for my, my brother or my, my sister-in-law or my mom or my stepdad or anybody that's important to me. Well, maybe for my brother. I don't know. I'm not kidding. I'm just teasing. Love you, Adam. Um, but God gave us his most precious treasure at Christmas. When it all boils down to it, we have precious treasures in our life that are priceless. There's just no amount of money. There's no amount of anything that we would trade those things in for. And it's usually the people in our lives. I'd give myself up before I give up my child. So think about what God gave up at Christmas. He gave up himself. We talked about that. God became a man. 
He came to earth. We know about the Trinity that Jesus is God and God is Jesus and all that works together. It's hard to understand and fathom all of it, but God being three yet one, God when Jesus was here was God on earth as well. So think about all that God gave up at Christmas. He gave up himself and he also gave up his son. God emptied himself, as we saw in the text just a minute ago. He emptied himself at Christmas. He gave everything that he had. See, here's a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he also owns the thousand hills that the cattle sit on. He has all power, he has all authority, he has all knowledge, and everything else that you can imagine at his disposal. But his most prized treasure, the light of heaven, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he freely gave his most precious treasure. Because his Son is the only one who could set us free from the sin. It's all that he could give, and he gave all that he had. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Just like those two words that I said earlier, he came, tells us Christmas's significance. Two words also tells us what Christmas's target is. Unto us. We are the target of the Christmas message. Christmas exists because we needed it. The incarnation of Jesus Christ exists because we needed God with us. We desperately need it. God didn't create the need. We created the need through our sin. See, gifts are more valuable, I think, when they're sentimental. A song that came out, I think, is maybe two decades ago. And I wish it had never been written. Because, I'm just going to say it and you're going to understand what I'm saying. How many of you ever heard the song, Christmas Shoes? How many of you never want to hear it again, right? Not that it's a bad song, but if you know the song, it's about a little boy who's at a shoe store on Christmas Eve and he's got his bag of, his, his bag of coins and he's found these pretty dress shoes and he's up there and it's, it's sung from the perspective of a guy who's probably a businessman and he's busy, he's trying to get his last minute Christmas gift done and he's standing there as this little boy has this box of shoes up at the counter and, and the, the, the guy is just counting the coins and the guy's just wanting to get on with his life and the guy finally counts out the coins and he says, son, you don't have enough money and he turns around and he's so sad, he's crying and he says, he looks at the, he looks at the man and he goes, sir, I want to buy these shoes for my mama because this might be her last Christmas and I want, if she goes to meet Jesus tonight, I want her to be wearing some nice shoes. I know, you're crying too, right? So the guy helps him buy the, the guy lays the money out on the table and helps him buy the shoes and everything like that. I mean, it's like, it's one of those sentimental songs. Why is that song, why does that song tug at our heartstrings? And for those of you who are just broken inside, it makes you, it annoys you, right? But why does that tug at our heartstrings? Because it gets to the core of gift giving. Gifts are most important when they mean something to us, when there's a sacrifice involved, and when it is a significant opportunity to send a message, right? This is why the gift of Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that was ever given. It costs God everything. He emptied himself out for us. It was a gift that cost him greatly, and it was a gift that was desperately needed, and it is an opportunity that each one of us needs to seize in order to have it. There are gifts that convey personal importance and personal investment and personal sacrifice. And Jesus fits the bill on all of those things. The nature of the gift of Jesus to the world is he is of immeasurable value to God. He speaks volumes for his personal extravagance and sacrifice in giving Jesus as a gift for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world so much that he gave his son. 
His only Son, His only begotten Son, just keeps making Him more and more and more precious as we read that description. And it also speaks of the total sacrifice of Jesus in coming to us. Look again what I said in that verse from Philippians just a little while ago. Instead, in verse number 7, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself and he became a servant. He emptied himself. He traded in the glory of heaven for a blue-collar life on the wrong side of the tracks in Nazareth as a son of a carpenter. He traded all the glory of heaven in so that we could have eternal life. Like I said before, in all other world religions, you find that man has to reach God, but only in Christianity you find that God reached to man. But another thing is that in all other world religions, man has to sacrifice for his God, but only in Christianity do you find that God made the biggest sacrifice for us. God emptied himself. That's a personal Christmas. It's sentimental because that gift carries a value and it's priceless. And then lastly, this morning before we close out, Christmas is personal and has a personal touch because it filled a need that we all had. We needed a personal savior. We need a personal Savior. See, what makes a gift really great? For you, what, what makes a gift really great? Is it the amount of money that's spent? Some people, that's what it is. Is it the fact that it's a rare thing? For some people, that's what it is. Maybe it's because it's so sentimental. I don't know what it is that makes a gift so valuable in your eyes. But for me, I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of one of those that's a practical giver. See, I believe a, great, a gift is great when it's obvious that the giver took into mind the needs of the one that he's given the gift to. I love it when somebody gives me, I used to hate it, all right, I used to hate it. But I like, when, I like now when somebody says, hey man, I bought you some socks. Because like, I wear holes in my socks like crazy. I actually threw a pair away yesterday. Stacy, I, I look at her and I'll hold them up and I'll be like, okay, trash or hamper, <laughs> all right? And lately, it's like more trash than hamper, okay? And so for me, a good gift is like, you know, hey, I'll get you some socks because, you know, I need them, right? We always need socks, right? Except for in the summertime if you wear flip-flops. But you see those gifts when it says, it took into mind what you needed, it means something, Right? I want to provide something that I wouldn't normally just go out and do on my own. This gift shows that the giver knows the recipient well enough and has assessed their need enough and cares enough to meet that need. See, a gift is best given when it's most needed, right? How many of you believe that? A gift is best given when it is most needed. Right, we can give a gift and it's extravagant. Maybe you don't need it and it's nice to set on your shelf or something. And those things are great as well because it still conveys care and love for somebody. But a gift is most needed when it's, or a gift is best given when it's most needed. And what we needed the most from God was the gift of his son. That's what we needed the most. Look at John 1, 14 again. It said, the, world, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here's where we see how much we needed it. It says, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The reason we were able to behold the glory of God is because he came to us. It's because he gave himself to us. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to save us. He came to show us his glory. Why did Jesus come to us? Because we were unable to go to him. Sp plain and simple. See, one of the miraculous parts of the Christmas story is how accessible Jesus is in the Christmas story. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? 
You would expect that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come to earth as a conquering hero, right? That he would come like, you know, that he would just come down in the skies with a glowing white robe, which by the way, he will do one day, but not the first time. How did he come? He came as a baby, like the smallest, most helpless, most vulnerable that he could come. He came not in a palace born like a King of Kings or Prince of Peace, He came born in a manger, no room for him anywhere else. So they had to find a barn and they laid him in a feeding trough for animals, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, born to a family that was blue collar as you can get as a carpenter from the city of Nazareth in the town of Bethlehem, which was like this little podunk suburb right outside of Jerusalem. Like the only claim that he really had to any greatness was that his his earthly dad was from the house of David. So David, the king of Israel. Jesus came as accessible as he could. The reason Jesus came so lowly, meek, and mild was because we are lowly and meek and we needed to be able to approach Jesus. Jesus came so lowly, he humbled himself so low so that the lowest of the low could feel comfortable approaching him. And it was announced the first people that showed up were shepherds. Not just shepherds, but shepherds on the night watch. Okay, that's pretty low. Those were the ones who were invited to see the baby first. And then wise men came later. We can talk about how they weren't actually there that night. But that's a whole other thing later on. But you see, Jesus is so accessible to us because the gospel should be accessible to everyone. The incarnation of Christ is such a miracle because we needed it so desperately. I love what Oswald Chambers says. He's the writer of... Of, <clears throat> of My Utmost for His Highest. It's a classic devotional that many of you probably read a lot. But he said this in one of his books, God's Workmanship. He says, Jesus comes to the brokenhearted, to the captives bound by a cursed hereditary tendency to sin. He comes to the blind who grope for light, to those that are bruised and crushed by their surroundings. But Jesus does not come as a mere sympathizer with us, feeling sorry for us. No, he comes to bind up the brokenhearted. He gives release to the captive. He gives recovering of sight to the blind. He sets at liberty them that are bruised and accursed. Jesus is not a mere sympathizer that just feels sorry for our sin. He is the Savior that redeems us from our sin. And he is the only one who can. See, back in the Old Testament, centuries before Jesus came to earth, the prophet Isaiah wrote about the fact that no one is capable of defeating death. That we all need a personal savior. That if we are to conquer death in the grave, we're not going to be able to conquer it ourselves. That we needed a Messiah. And he wrote about what it would look like when we receive that gift. And that gift comes to fruition. And it says this. In Isaiah chapter 25, it says, When he has swallowed up death once and for all. Think about what that's going to look like. When he has swallowed up death once and for all. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said. Catch this. Look. Look. This is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. When he swallowed up death once and for all, On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. That's the personal touch of Christmas. Is that the God of heaven gave of himself so that one day when he swallows up death in the grave, we can say, look, that's my God. That's my Savior. 
Listen, God is God whether you believe in him or not. Jesus is the Savior whether you believe in him or not. But he wants to be your God. And he wants to be your Savior. See, God purchased us to be his so that we could claim him as ours. That's one of the beautiful things of Christmas and kicking off the Christmas season. That's what we have to keep backing our hearts and our minds and all the things that we'll do this year. That's what it's all about. God came to be with us. There's no gift that you're going to give this year that's going to be greater. There's no gift that you're going to receive this year that's going to be greater than the gift that God gave us in Jesus Christ. So as we bow our heads and as we close our eyes, we go to a time of reflection and just thinking, listen, I didn't bring any deep theological truth to you that you probably didn't already know walking in, but sometimes it's good just to review it and to be reminded of it, especially when whatever you got going on tomorrow may try to start stripping you of that and make you feel like you're alone again. You're not. God's with you. God will be with you. Here's the deal. We have to want him. God doesn't force himself on us. We have to want him. The question is, do you want him? The beautiful thing about a gift is that it becomes a gift when it's received. Have you received the gift? Have you received the incarnate Jesus Christ? If you haven't, let today be the day that you do. Let today be the day that you say, God, I'm, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of, I'm tired of trying to look for answers everywhere else. I'm coming to you. I'm surrendering myself to you. I'm pleading my case with you, and I have no case. I trust Jesus as my Savior. Remember, this God emptied himself for you. And all he asks in return is that you trust him and that you follow him and that you empty yourself for him. Empty yourself of faith in everything else and put it all lock, stock, and barrel in him. And before you say, and that just seems too easy to do or too hard to do, how is faith in other things working out for you? Trust in Christ. He'll never let us down. I'm not trying this. Now don't take that to mean that you'll never have a problem or you'll never experience anything negative in your life. It said as you go through life, he is there. He is with you. He will not leave you. And you are secure in him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, come today. If you are watching today and you have questions about faith and you don't know the answers to, we want to help you. We want to show you from God's word where the answers are. If you're here this morning, talk to me, talk to somebody before you leave this place. But we never have a service where we don't give people a chance to just respond immediately. Or if you have something heavy on your heart that you need prayer for, or you just want to pray about, there are people who will pray with you, talk with you, counsel with you. We want to be a church. One of our core values is love and community. One of those things about community is that we pray for one another. We share each other's burdens. So come today if you have something heavy on your heart. Let's talk. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.